yeah, we'll we'll give yeah we'll yeah. I mean, it's just an invite. Come learn. Come ask your hard questions. Come learn more about Christianity and Jesus. So. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings 23. We're going to talk about Josiah. Um, We started talking about him last week, so we're going to talk about him again this week. So 2 Kings 23, I'm going to start with verse 1. Remember, this is after they were repairing the temple. They found the scriptures, and Josiah as part of the nation, tears his clothes and repents. They visit a prophetess. She said, God has seen your repentance. And God says two things. He is not going to change his timetable in terms of he is going to judge the nation completely and thoroughly, but he'll do it later, is basically what they said. So verse one, then the king sent And all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the book, the words of the book of the covenant. You notice I highlighted the word covenant. That had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul. To perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people joined in the covenant. So what we've got is chapter 23 is this huge reform that Josiah brings to the nation. And Josiah knows that this reform is not going to cause God's judgment not to come. God is not going to change his his agenda and his mind. So he knows that the result of this reform is not that Judah is going to be spared. Josiah is not doing it for the results. He is doing it because it is the right thing to do. Everybody got that? But five times in the story of this reform, the word covenant is used. It's the theme of this chapter. And covenant, a lot of people think of it as a contract or an agreement. But covenant is much more than that. A a contract is just an agreement between two parties. A covenant is a binding relationship. You can have a contract and not have a binding relationship. Do you see the difference? A contract involves what? 
it usually involves somebody's skill or somebody's role. If I'm a builder and I bring in the electrician, I make a contract with that electrician, right? It's because of his role. It's because of his skill. And usually that's what contracts are about. But a covenant is not just an agreement or a contract with someone's skill or role. A covenant covers the person's entire being. All of who they are is involved in a covenant. So the chapter opens and closes with a phrase. With all his heart and with all his soul. What does that imply? You're what? Every, everybody say everything. Everything. Right? 2 Kings 23.3 And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes. Here it is. With what? With all his heart and all his soul. You're literally designed as a human being to give all of yourself to something, right? And so if a person doesn't do that with their covenant with God, they're going to try it with something else. Drugs or sex or money or alcohol, right? Because if you've got to give all of yourself to something, 2 Kings 23, 25, at the end of the chapter, before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord, here it is, with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his mind. So when you find the word covenant, what kind of relationship is it? The closest modern day parallel is marriage. There's really no other covenant in our culture, right? And even marriage is being degraded badly, but it's the closest thing we have to how do you understand a covenant? And what's interesting, when God's covenant with Israel and then his covenant with all his people in the church, from Genesis to Revelation, when that covenant is described, It uses marriage language. Always. Jeremiah 31, 32. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, listen to this, though I was what? Their husband, declares the Lord. Well, that sounds an awful lot like a marriage covenant. Ezekiel 16, 8. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you. That's very intimate language. When Ruth said to Boaz, hey, time for us to get married, spread the corner of your garment over me, uses the same phrase. And covered your nakedness, I made my vow to you, there it is, and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. 
Well, that sounds like marriage language. Hosea chapter 6, verse 7. As at Adam, they, bro- they have broken the covenant. And how, how did they break it? They were unfaithful to me there. But that word unfaithful is in the context of marriage. The same word unfaithful, for example, is in Jeremiah 3.20. But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you Israel have been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. Again, covenant language is in the context of marriage language. So what is marriage? It's not just based on love. Because there's a boyfriend and a girlfriend that can love each other. So what's the difference between just having a girlfriend and having a wife? It's not just love. It's what? Loyalty. It's not just caring for one another. It's what? Commitment. That is covenant. Covenant is not just I love you. It's loyalty and love. It's not just care, it's care and what? Commitment. And one of the most used adjectives for covenant is the word eternal, unending, perpetual. You don't break it. Now, scripturally, covenant is always Everybody say always. It's initiated by God, not by you. In fact, the whole basis of covenant relationship with God is his love for us. Your love for him is not the basis of it. For instance, Genesis 6.18 is the first time in all of the Bible that the word covenant is used. And it says, but I, God, will establish my covenant with you. Who's establishing the covenant? With who? Us. Genesis 17, 2, that I, God, may make my covenant between me and you. Who's making the covenant? God. Deuteronomy 4, 32, and he, the Lord, declared to you his covenant. Who's declaring the covenant? The Lord. You can't get, if you get this backwards, you're not going to know how to walk with God. Does that make sense? So what is the book of First and Second Kings? It's this chapter after chapter. It's this record of Israel rejecting the marriage. Rejecting the covenantal relationship. For instance, in 1 Kings eleven eleven, therefore the Lord said to Solomon, quote, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I commanded you. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 14, Elijah is, God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he, Elijah, said, quote, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, 
for the people of Israel have what? Say it out loud. Forsaken the covenant. 2 Kings 18, 12. Because they, Israel, did not obey the voice of the Lord their God. But what? What does it say there? Transgressed his covenant. That is the history of 1 and 2 Kings. So we get to Josiah, and there are lots of teaching about Josiah, lots of books about Josiah, and so often, especially in more the charismatic world, um, they look at Josiah and they look at, look at the cultural reform. Look at the political reform. Look at the religious reform. And that's usually, it's, it's looked at like that and becomes a model of, you know, what we can do in America. But if you look at the story, what did he actually do? He renewed what? Covenant with God. What does that mean? Restored their love relationship with the Lord. There is no reform outside of that. Right? So how did he do it? How does, did Josiah renew covenant? How? It gets a little intense. Verse 4. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest... And the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, for all the hosts of heaven. They worshipped all the different stars, the sun, the moon. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he deposed the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places at the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem, and also who burnt incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon and the constellations and all the hosts of heaven. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kindra, remember Asher is the goddess, a lot of sexuality and idolatry all interrelated. And burned it at the brook Kidron and beat it to dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. He's, why take the, the dust of the idols and throw it on graves? He was what's called desecrating it. He's saying the only good thing this thing is for is death. He's showing how unclean it is. And he broke down the house of the male cult prostitutes, which were in the house of the Lord. So there was male cult prostitutes, a lot of gender issues going on. But their little rooms that they were having their times with other with others were in the temple where the woman wove hangings for Asherah 
that's the, they, they would literally create different kinds of clothing to put on the goddess's body. And he brought out all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests desecrated the high places, where the priests had made offerings from Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city. The gates are where the, the city councils, the government's rule. Well, the places of rulership had become places of worship to demons. It was getting interconnected, which were on one's left at the gate of the city. However, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnon, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Molech. He ended child sacrifice. He's like, enough. But it just keeps going on and on. And he removed the horses, that's the, the, the figurines, that the kings of the Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chambers of Nathan Melech, the chamberlain, which was in the precincts, and he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. So at the, at the entrance to the temple, they created these statues of horses and chariots. It represented um, the following the sun god every day into rebirth, part of their mythology, their idolatry. And the altars on the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz, these guys had idols everywhere, which the kings of Judah had made in the altars that Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He pulled down and broke in pieces and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. And the king desecrated or defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians. And these are all the gods that Solomon introduced. And for Chemoth, the abomination of the Moab. And for Milcom, which is another name for... Um, Molech, the abomination of the Amorites. These are all the gods from the, ancient, the earlier peoples. And he broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the ashram and filled their places with the bones of men. Again, de desecrating these places of idolatry. Moreover, the altar at Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he made these golden calves and said, here's your gods now. The high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. That altar with the high place he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah. And as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mount. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it. Again, defiling the idolatrous altars. According to the word of the Lord, that the man of God proclaimed who had predicted these things, when Jeroboam and others made these altars, prophets, a prophet predicted, you're worshiping idols on these altars? Well, they will be defiled with the bones of dead men because it will be death and not life that you are bringing to the nation. That was in chapter 13 that that was prophesied. 
Then he said, what is this monument that I see? And the men of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, let him be, let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came out of Samaria. And Josiah removed all the shrines, also of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria. He's moving into the northern kingdom of Israel and doing this now. Which the kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger. He did it to them according to all that he had done at Bethel. And he sacrificed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars. So in the northern kingdom, this is capital punishment now. For these idolatrous priests on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he returned to Jerusalem. You're like, that guy is busy. Israel rejected God in a way you can't imagine. Right? False gods and idols. But here's the point. Listen to me. We're talking in the context of covenant. The false gods and idols have become lovers. All over the Bible, the word idolatry and adultery are interchangeable. Everywhere. God will say that's idolatry, and then the next verse, that's adultery. So how does Josiah respond to this? Look at the verbs. He burns in a bunch of verses, grinds to dust in a bunch of verses, tears down in a bunch of verses, destroys. These are all different verbs. Smashes, cuts down, removes, slaughters, throws down, defiles, desecrates. All of those verbs are just intense. His reform, why was it so severe? It was intense. It was rapid. And it was total. He didn't left, he didn't leave anything untouched. But why? There's one little verse you may have noticed. In verse 19, which the kings of Israel had made, here it is, provoking the Lord to anger. Everybody say provoking the Lord to anger. That verse gives the reason for all the activity. Provoking the Lord to anger is actually one verb. Kaas in Hebrew. It means to show wrath, to show anger. Now, whose wrath? Whose? God's. Whose anger? God's. Josiah felt it. He knew it. He's like, uh-oh. Now, you have to understand, 
God's wrath is not wrath because he's bad-tempered. Bad you know what I mean? You know what the word capricious is? Someone's unpredictable. You're like, are they going to be nice right now or are they going to be grumpy? They're unpredictable. They're, it's an outburst that you don't know if it's coming or not coming. That is not the wrath of God. It's not because God is mean. It's not because God is cruel. It's not because his emotions are off. God is not ill-tempered. Now, don't raise your hand. <laughs> How many of you grew up with ill-tempered fathers or know people that have grown up with ill-tempered fathers? Right? God is not that. James 1.17, which Deanna sang about. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the what? Father of heavenly lights. What does this mean? Who does not change like shifting shadows. What James is saying is he's not, he's not an unpredictable father. He's not moody. He doesn't have a bad temper. He's not like that. His anger burns because unlike our hearts, his heart loves what? Perfectly. Because people are so precious to God, he does not want to share his bride with lovers. That would be kind of weird if someone's like, I really love you. And then you go and have a bunch of affairs, and they're like, oh, I don't care. Do you think they, would, they really love you then? No. And the, the more pure and perfect love is, listen to me, the angrier they will get if there are affairs. The less perfect and less pure the love is, the more indifferent they will be if the person has affairs, right? God's like, I don't want to share them with idols and demons. I don't want to share them with lovers that are going to try to destroy them. If a husband really loves his wife, he's going to be deeply jealous. Now, don't think of jealousy. I'm talking about from a heart that loves perfectly. Not the weird jealousy of somebody who has control issues and is selfish. Okay? Different. Jealous of any other lover who's going to attempt to seduce and hurt her. God's fierce anger is an expression of something. His loving jealousy. And the Bible says this everywhere. Deuteronomy 32, 21, they have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. Listen, they have moved me to anger, chaos, by their foolish idols. Everybody, you see the connection? Psalm 78, 58, they have provoked him to anger, chaos, with their high places. Here it is. They have moved him to what? Jealousy 
with their carved images. And Josiah feels it. He said, I want to do actions that are in line with God's jealousy. This is covenant. This is renewing covenant. It would be hard to renew a relationship if you're sharing the bed every other night with someone else. Right? So Josiah's like, I got to find all the lovers and get them out of Israel. Give them the boot. But it's not just Josiah removing stuff. That just that doesn't bring a reform. It's also returning to something. What did how and what did they return to? Second Kings twenty three, twenty one to twenty three. And the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the what? Covenant. It could have said book of the law. It could have said the scriptures. Right? But it says book of the what? Covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the king of Israel or the king of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, verse 24, Josiah put away the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord. Now, notice something. Everybody say, turn to the Lord. But what did he do? Everybody said, keep the Passover. The only way to return to the Lord is to keep the Passover. The only way. With all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor any other like him arose after him. What's the Passover? It is the, the entire covenant. It's like, you know, the entire house is based on its foundation. A car is based on those four wheels, right? The entire covenant has, is based on something, and it's ba- everybody say the Passover. You guys, are, what are, you ever read the Ten Commandments? Which the Ten Commandments are marriage vows, right? You know there's only one adjective for God used in the Ten Commandments? One. What's the adjective? Don't worship other idols, for I, the Lord, your God, am jealous. Why is jealous the only adjective used for God in the Ten Commandments? It puts the Ten Commandments in context. So what are the Ten The Ten Commandments are at the center of the covenant. They show Israel, how do you love the Lord that loves you? 
how do you love him with all your heart? And by the way, the way you love other people is the way you love God. So how do you do it? Well, be truthful and don't lie. Protect life, don't murder. Things like that, right? Paul, in Romans 13, repeats the Ten Commandments and then says, verse 10, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. The Ten Commandments were a way to what? Love. They're not a way to earn God's favor, to make him like you. They're a way to what? Love. But the Ten Commandments don't begin with commandments because they're not based. The foundation is not commandments. Because what do they begin with? A reference to the Exodus from Egypt. The reference to the Exodus from Egypt implies what? How did the Exodus happen? Everybody say Passover. It's the basis for the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 to 2. And God spoke all these words saying, quote, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's how the Ten Commandments begins. Because it's the basis for it. The covenant. What is the Passover? Every year, the Jews took the Passover lamb and, and ate it. And then there was symbolism in the meal to replay the Exodus event. It was to remember their deliverance from death, their deliverance from Egypt. You guys remember the story, right? Because of a sin and rebellion, judgment comes on Egypt in the form of death. All the firstborn are going to die, being struck down by God. So God tells Israel, if you take a lamb, but it has to be a lamb without a defect, without a blemish, and you kill the lamb, put its blood on your doorpost so that what you need is not a guard, what you need is not the doorbell that does the security, what you need to protect your house from death. The blood of an innocent lamb? And God, when he sees the blood, passes over the house so instead of bringing death that's deserved, he brings its mercy and he doesn't give the judgment that's deserved. So instead of judgment, you get salvation for one reason, the shed blood of an innocent lamb. That's it. Their job is to apply it. Everybody say faith. So the Passover sacrifice is not just deliverance from slavery in Egypt. It wasn't just, listen to me carefully, it wasn't just deliverance from Pharaoh. 
It was deliverance or salvation from the judgment of God. Exodus 12, 13 to 14. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Well, verse 13 is clear, right? It's not unclear. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. The whole, the whole covenant is based on this. And you shall keep it as a feast. The Passover was so significant the entire calendar of the Hebrews was reset to make the month with the Passover sacrifice the new first month of the Jewish year. The deliverance from the Passover lamb shed blood was a brand new beginning. And that new beginning was to be remembered and celebrated every single year going forward. Exodus 12, 1 to 2. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the what? The beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. So Jesus does something. Jesus says, hey, disciples, I'm really excited to celebrate Passover with you. By the way, this is the last Passover meal we're going to have. You're like, well, wait a minute. You're supposed to do this every year. Jesus, just another reason the Pharisees keep calling you a false teacher. The Bible says do it every year. He says, this is the last one I'm doing with you. And in the middle of that meal, Jesus does something. He says, the lamb, it's not about the lamb. It's not about the blood of the lamb. It's about me. It's about my blood. I. He's literally at the meal with them, and he says, I am the fulfillment of the Passover. It's been pointing to me the whole time. The innocent lamb was slain year after year, pointed to him. Why was the lamb no defect? Because Jesus was the only human being who was sinless. He had to be sinless because he had to die for your sin, not his sin. Right? Slain on a cross is our substitute. Taking the death we deserve, the punishment we deserve. Luke 22, 14 to 20. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Verse 19. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them and said, this is what? Say it out loud. Whose body? My body. Which is given for you. What, you mean not the lamb that was given for them in the days of Moses? Do this in remembrance of Moses. Do this in remembrance of Egypt. Do this in remembrance of what? Out loud. Me. 
and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, you have to understand, Jesus is flipping something on his head that had been going on for a long time. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in, here it is. New what? Covenant. Covenant. Why is it new? The old covenant was based on feasts and laws that were looking forward to something. The new covenant is based on Jesus, who's the fulfillment of those feasts and laws. In my blood. This is the basis of the covenant. You want to know how on earth are you going to live in marriage covenant with God? How are you going to live as a bride? How? What's the basis? God giving his life for us. Paying the ultimate price. Dying in our place. When you sin, you don't have to kill yourself anymore. Thank you that you were killed in my place. Bearing the judgment that we deserve. You don't have to whip yourself anymore. Jesus says, uh, I took the whipping for you. Giving us full, not par partial forgiveness. What sin did he not bear on the cross? Which one did he miss? Free forgiveness. You want to try to earn that? Good luck. For all of our sins, making a way for us to boldly enter his presence. And so often the language of God's presence is bedroom language, by the way, in Hebrew. It's intimate marriage covenant language. Jesus' sacrifice for us is the what? The basis of God's covenant, his relationship with us. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives, here it is, as Christ loved the church. Well, what is that? Love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's what kind of language? Marriage. That's covenant language. That is his new covenant with us. But what's the basis for the covenant? And gave himself up for her. What is he talking about? The what? The crucifixion. That's the basis of the covenant. And Josiah says, okay, we need to do a reform. We got to get all the prostitutes and the lovers and the whoredom. We got to get it out of the land. It's impossible. You know what I mean? God wants a monogamous relationship. But that's just removing stuff. And he says, okay, to have a real reform, we got to return to something. He says, we're going to return to the Lord. But how did he do that? They kept the what? But what, how did they keep the covenant? What did they keep? The Passover. 
that's the basis of it. Amen? And the final thought is, he did all this knowing the prophetess Huldah already told him, God is not going to change his mind. Is, Judah is going to be destroyed under the judgment of God because of Manasseh and Jeroboam and all that. And he says, I'm going to do it anyway. Listen to me. Because he did it because it was right, regardless of the results. As a church, that's the way we have to live. You, we do things because they are right to do, regardless of the results. Paul said, man, some people water, some people plow, some people plant, but who gives the increase? God. You cannot control the results. And Paul knew that. Amen. Deanna, do you want to come forward? Next, is next week the first week of the month? The one after? Next time we take communion, let's just take it, even though it's a little while from now, let's take it with this absolutely in the forefront of our mind. Listen to me carefully. You have to think about the crucifixion every single day of your life. You, the crucifixion has to be something that you remember every single day of your life. You cannot let the memory of the crucifixion of Jesus' death on the cross drift far away from your mind. Because it's the only way that you maintain life as a bride. How am I going to be a bride to Jesus? I've got to think about the crucifixion as much as I can. I have to remember it as much as I can. I can't drift from it. There's no other way to do this. Amen? I just want to... I, when you sang Father of Lights, I haven't heard that song in forever. You know, that was crazy. <laughs> and yet, it, for me, it was at the center of these notes and the center of this message. I want us to close but just sing that as a congregation. Let's go ahead and just... Let's just sing that to the Lord and let's, let's finish. Endeavor.